Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli from The Week in Doubt. Usually each week I examine stories or topics having to do with religion from a skeptical point of view. In a sense, this week's episode is no different. But since it is the Halloween season this week, I'd like to break with the usual format and present you with a kind of mini audio documentary on the rather strange and unsettling topic of demonic possession. This special episode of The Week in Doubt is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash theweekindoubt. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now without further ado, our special on Demonic Possession. The fear of demonic possession, of being invaded or taken over by malevolent spirits, is an ancient one. From primitive shamanic cultures to the Abrahamic faiths, religions around the world hold a belief in the power of spirits or outside entities to invade the body. The oldest accounts on record can be traced at least as far back as ancient Sumer. Ancient Sumerians held a belief that physical as well as mental ailments were caused by sickness demons known as Giddim. Sumerian priests called a shipu, an ancient word for sorcerer, were charged with the duty of exorcising the malignant spirits from the bodies of the possessed. Surviving cuneiform tablets bear inscriptions and prayers asking for divine protection from possession by evil spirits. The Judeo-Christian Bible is rife with accounts of demonic possession. Most of the accounts are to be found in the New Testament. The Old Testament or Hebrew Bible contains only one dubious reference to demonic possession. In 1 Samuel 16.14, it is said that an evil spirit from the Lord troubled Saul. In the book of Job, the eponymous protagonist is tested repeatedly by a member of God's court known as the Satan, or simply Satan, Hebrew for the accuser or adversary. Satan smites and torments Job with the express permission of God. The two are locked in a wager concerning whether or not Satan can drive Job to curse God. This divinely authorized torment of the faithful by malevolent powers has been taken by some as an example that demonic possession may in some cases be a test from God. As previously stated, the majority of verses regarding demonic possession are to be found in the New Testament. Similar to the ancient Sumerian view, in the world of the New Testament, demons are seen as the direct cause of physical and mental ailments. Jesus' curing of the sick, such as the healing of the dumb and blind, often directly involves the driving out of evil or unclean spirits. Throughout the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is described as healing the demon-possessed. In the Gospel of John, Jesus himself is even accused of being demon-possessed. One of the most famous and unsettling tales of demonic possession in the New Testament is the story of the Gerasene demoniac. The story occurs in the Gospel of Mark. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. 
For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about two thousand in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. In Mark 16:9, Jesus is described as having exorcised seven demons from Mary Magdalene. In the Gospel of Luke, one of literature's and perhaps history's most infamous figures is described as being possessed, not by just any evil spirit, but by the devil himself. Luke 22:3, Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Throughout the book of Acts, the apostles and other devout figures are described as casting out evil spirits in Jesus' name. Diametrically opposed to the phenomenon of demonic possession, the book of Acts also contains instances of the positive experience of people coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The concept of individuals being taken over by beneficent, or at least not explicitly evil entities, can be found in many belief systems, such as in voodoo, where practitioners are said to be ridden by deities or intermediary spirits. Catholic exorcists divide extraordinary demonic activity, which differs from everyday trials and temptations, into six different types. The following list comes courtesy of stpetersList.com and I quote it verbatim as it can be found on that site. 1. External physical pain caused by Satan. As its name suggests, demonic activity can manifest as physical pain. Father Amorph points to St. John of the Cross, the cure of ours, and Padre Pio as historical examples of those who suffered physical beatings and torment by demons. However, since this external form of persecution does not affect the soul, it is understood that there has never been the need for an exorcism only for prayers. 2. The second form, demonic possession. This occurs when Satan takes full possession of the body, not the soul. He speaks and acts without the knowledge or consent of the victim, who therefore is morally blameless. In reference to the question, is there a stereotypical possession or referential model, Father Amorph advises the following. To fix a set model for demonic possession would be a serious mistake. The affliction runs the gamut of symptoms and severity. 3. Diabolical Oppression there is no possession, loss of consciousness, or involuntary action and word, just severe to mild events that plague the individual. Father Amorth points to Job's severe afflictions and St. Paul's thorn in his flesh. 2 Corinthians 12.7 Whereas possession is rare, Father Amorth reveals that he and his fellow exorcists run into a great number of people who have been struck by the devil in their health, jobs, or relationships. 4. Diabolical Obsession Symptoms include sudden attacks, at times ongoing obsessive thoughts, sometimes even rationally absurd, but of such nature that the victim is unable to free himself. Moreover, the obsessed person lives in a perpetual state of prostration, desperation, and attempts at suicide. Almost always obsession influences dreams. 5. Diabolical Infestation Infestations affect houses, things, or animals. 6. Diabolical Subjugation or Dependence 
And I should state that some of the symptoms listed above, and I speak now as a skeptic who doesn't believe in the literal existence of demonic possession, that things such as obsessive thoughts are most likely, in my opinion, the result of psychological or mood disorders and should probably be treated by a mental health professional and not an exorcist. That concludes the list of forms of extraordinary demonic activity. The medieval Rituali Romanum, or Roman ritual, defines true demonic possession by four characteristics. Manifestation of superhuman strength, speaking in tongues or languages that the victim cannot know, revelation of knowledge, distant or hidden, that the victim cannot know, blasphemous rage, and an aversion to holy symbols or relics. The concept of demonic possession would not stay relegated to the shadows of the superstitious past. In 1973, director William Friedkin's Academy Award-winning screen adaptation of William Peter Blatty's novel The Exorcist would shock audiences worldwide. The film tells the story of a young girl who falls victim to demonic possession. Although the possessing entity claims to be the devil, Imagery in the film seems to insinuate that the being's identity is that of Pazuzu, an ancient Mesopotamian demon. On face value, the plot of The Exorcist might seem like that of just another run-of-the-mill horror movie, but with an intelligent script, Friedkin's expert directing, a talented cast, and last but not least, graphic and groundbreaking audio and visual effects that assault the senses, The Exorcist would make a name for itself in popular culture as one of the most frightening films of all time. As if the film wasn't frightening enough, the claim that The Exorcist had been based on a true story added an ominous gravitas to the film's already sinister reputation. In fact, author William Peter Blatty had been inspired by the tale of a quote-unquote actual exorcism. The 1940s media-reported case of a child under the influence of demonic possession came to be referred to as the exorcism of Roland Doe. Unlike in Blatty's story, the child victim in the original case was male. Roland Doe was a pseudonym given to the boy by the Catholic Church. Although Roland's family hadn't been Catholic, his parents in desperation turned to the church. Reluctant at first, the church eventually authorized an exorcism. Similar to Blatty's story, the possession supposedly began after the victim had begun experimenting with a Ouija board. The boy was reported to have displayed many of the classic signs of possession, including supernatural strength in speaking in previously unknown languages. When looked at objectively, the fanciful tale of Roland Doe isn't as impressive as it seems at first blush. The claims of supernatural feats appear somewhat exaggerated upon closer inspection. Reportedly, one of the priests involved in the exorcism admitted he thought the boy had merely mimicked Latin words he had heard previously. Skeptical investigators have also suggested that the supposed feats of strength were nothing beyond the capacity of a normal teenage boy. It's also suggested that the boy may have been unusually close, perhaps even involved in an incestuous relationship with an aunt who passed away when he was 13. It's thought that the inappropriate relationship and trauma of the loss may have triggered or heightened mental or emotional issues within the young Roland. The extreme and disturbing behavior of Roland Doe may very well have an explanation rooted in the realm of the psychological rather than the diabolical. Another infamous case 
of demonic possession is that of Annalise Mitchell, a young German girl who tragically died of health complications resulting from prolonged exorcism. Her story inspired at least two movies, Requiem and The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Upon her death, Annalise was found to have been severely dehydrated and malnourished. The girl had a history of epilepsy and psychiatric trouble. At some point, she had come to believe she was demon-possessed, a belief reinforced by her religious family, especially her mother. Years after her death, Annalise's parents requested that she be exhumed, the reason being that she had been quickly interred in a cheap wooden coffin. A local Carmelite nun said she had a vision that Annalisa would be proved to be uncorrupted by death, but upon examination her corpse showed the signs of normal decomposition. Like Roland Doe, the tragic case of Annalisa Mitchell seems to have an explanation rooted not in the demonic or supernatural, but in medicine and psychology. As a skeptic, it's my belief that all cases of so-called demonic possession most likely have a rational explanation. But that being said, the topic remains fascinating and made for what I hope was an enjoyable Halloween episode of The Week in Doubt. Thanks for listening.